they stopped walking and they realized that they had come to a portal. When they crossed over, that landscape was exactly the same, the tree there, the bushes here, the collection of trees there, except that it was a mottled world. And they crossed over again into what they described as a sylvan world, where the trees were lit with what we call fairy lights and everything had a sylvan hue and there were little figures. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. Our guest today is Maggie Hamilton. Are you ready to understand the secret life of fairies? Maggie Hamilton is passionate about sharing the mystical connection with the elementals and natural world. She's the author of Inside the Secret Life of Fairies. This is her story and this is her passion. Maggie, welcome to Passion Harvest. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Well, likewise, Louise, it's just wonderful to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm fascinated by your book and your deep connection with the elementals and nature. Let's get started. What are fairies? Fairies are the living spirit of all living things. So they are the caretaker spirit that helps us thrive and they are in um, in us in in our world all around us. So they are in plants and trees, but they're also in rocks. Basically, they are the kind of intelligent intelligences that lie behind the dance of atoms. So even those things that we feel are inanimate actually have an intelligence and a, a, a living spirit, a, a guiding spirit within them to help them thrive, to help whatever thrive to heal. We always talk about seeing because we like to see things to believe it. Yeah. Have you seen fairies? Look, I have, but I don't, I don't like to emphasize that because I think we tend to get very caught up with what we're supposed to be seeing. And in fact, what I've learned, Louisa, is that these beings, and they really are a massive ecology of hundreds and thousands of different beings, by the way, not just, you know, the elves and the pixies and, and you know, those kind of figures that we are familiar with. Um, but what I have learned is that come to see is that there is not a person on the planet who has not experienced fairies in a very profound way. Let me explain. And hopefully this will excite people. These beings talk to us. They talk to us in a number of ways, symbols, telepathically, etc. But at a, a most direct level, they talk to us in a language of beauty. Because beauty is something we all relate to, we all understand, and what we are programmed to recognize. So 
we have these experiences of connection with the living spirits of nature. We were walking through the woods and we see a tree that just almost reaches out to us with its its beauty. You know, perhaps it's the way the the, the boughs are configured or the leaves in autumn or spring, or it might be the dewdrop on the end of a leaf or a flower, or it might be the colour or scent of a flower that suddenly takes us into a transcendent moment into the eternal now, where for probably only 10 seconds, 20 seconds, it can feel like a lifetime so that the whole of our being is is taken upwards and outwards, giving us a sense of the expansiveness of who we are. That is connection. And there's not a person on the planet who has not experienced that. The sad thing is we don't recognize what it is we've experienced in that moment. So we're not able to make use of that because these spirits of nature and of all living things, they've got more to do than just appear to kind of give us a happy day or happy moment. They give us these experiences to get us to taste a bigger, more whole way of being in the world so that we can be more useful to the planet. So it's an invitation for healing, for growth, for expansion, not just to make our toes curl, although hopefully it does that as well. <laughs> So, yes, whether I love that whether we recognize it or not, fairies are part of our life and we've all experienced them in some way. How did they appear to you? Um, look, they have appeared as winged beings and also little orbs of light. But I'd love to tell you of another experience because what I think is even more profound than that, because I think it leaves an energetic imprint on you, is that you know you are kind of in that zone when your senses are elevated beyond anything you've experienced before. And let me give you an example. So most of my life I've, I've worked in book publishing I'm a, and I'm also a writer, a social researcher. So, you know, mainstream kind of uh, life, Perhaps say, shall we, shall I say nine to five? And then this other very exciting life outside of that. So um, I was working in Sydney um, in a multi story office block right by the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So downtown Sydney. And um, on this particular day, you know, it'd been a busy morning in the office, and I zipped up the road to the sandwich shop to get something to eat and grabbed it and then went across the road to uh, a place called Kirribilli where there's this wonderful swathe of grass that looks down onto the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House and the Harbour. And um, it's, it was just by the office, so it was handy. And in this park, because it's a big, big piece of grass, there were mums with babies, there were dogs, there were other office workers. It certainly wasn't a silent place. It was a normal city park in the middle of the week. And the moment I sat on the grass, 
It was as if I had stuck my fingers in the cosmic light socket. Suddenly, I had all this electricity going through me. It wasn't an unpleasant experience. In fact, um, you know, it was a very, I think the best way I can describe it is almost orgasmic experience. And as I looked around me, the grass was greener than any green I have seen on the planet. And I knew then I had entered the zone. And um, what I found in that moment was it, it was as if I was experiencing the life force of every single blade of grass on that massive um, expanse of grass. And that's when I entered into that eternal now, which we've spoken about, that, that realm of absolute bliss, absolute connection, and transcendence beyond anything we normally experience in everyday life. And that probably lasted about 15 seconds, although if you'd have asked me as I came out, I wouldn't have had any idea of the time because that's another sign is that we lose track of linear time as we tip into the eternal now. And then I was back, you know, with the mums and the dogs and the babies and the other office workers having my lunch. But the beauty of that experience I've found, Louisa, is that when we share it with others, which often we don't with these experiences because people are concerned about, you know, being ridiculed in these times. When I was growing up, you know, it was quite common for people to talk about this because, you know, these were everyday experiences. What I found is two wonderful things. Just talking to you about it now, it's like I can relive that experience in my being that I feel that elevation as I'm talking to you and what I've also noticed with this is as a transmission takes place and that for some people at least they also experience that transcendent energy that kind of touch of healing magic that just expands the view so Next time we're wherever we are and we are drawn to a beautiful flower because the color is just like, wow, or the scent is just like, or that dewdrop, know that a communication is taking place. And we can work on that. There's some very practical steps we can work on to actually help create these connections. And that is finding the sacred spaces around where we live, whether in the city or the country, that place and where there's that grove of trees or park that we love. Um, for me, it's one of the beaches in Sydney, it's botanical gardens, it's a little chapel, it's a cemetery. There's a few places for me that are my sacred places. And so we, we learn to spend time there when we can. We might only be able to you know, manage 15 minutes, everybody has busy lives. But when we go into those holy places, they are because they make us more whole. When we go into them consciously, knowing they're our holy places, then it's almost like at another level, or we can actually consciously do that, is to actually greet the living spirit of that place that is holy, sacred to us,
and start to develop a relationship with it. And how do we do that? We do it just like we would with a human being. We meet them with love, with respect. And you know what it's like when you're first dating or you've just met a new friend who just dazzles you because they've got so much that delights you. Everything about them makes your toes curl. And so you are really motivated to notice everything about them. So that's what we do with our sacred places. We greet them in love, a willingness to reach out and to really observe the nuances of that sacred place to nourish it and to nourish ourselves and our relationship with that holy sacred place. And it can be a tiny park in a city. It might be on the top of a mountain. Who knows? We know when we've entered those special zones. You're answering all my questions. That was beautiful, that experience. Thank you Aww. for sharing it. Um, so one one place might be sacred to me and not to another. Do you think the elemental beings or the fairies call us to a particular place or a geographical location that resonates think, with our being? I think that's absolutely so, Louisa. And I think they do that for our personal healing for our personal growth, because we can also learn to dialogue um, with the trees, with the plants, with the rocks. Um, and I've found this, you know, as we all go off on our travels around the world, you know, I've had conversations with, well, in the centre of Australia, we've got um, Uluru, the great sacred um, indigenous rock. And um, I went there for a, the last time I went there, I'd had quite bad bouts of bronchitis and a friend had come from America and we'd promised to take her there and it was just she and I. And I said to the rock telepathically, what is it I need to know at this time? Always a good question to ask. What is I most need to know at this time? And it was about standing in my own space and being clear about my boundaries. This ancient, ancient rock that is hundreds of millions of years old, telling me what I need to thrive. Magic, just developing that relationship. We actually nourish that the spirit of the place for those who come after, whether it is their, say, something they recognise as sacred place or not. You, you talk about um, the spirit of the land or other elemental beings. Do you mind describing a few of them? And what is the spirit? That's two questions. And what, what do you mean by the spirit of the land? The spirit of the land is the living caretaker, the living intelligence um, behind spa a certain space, or it could be a tree, a bush. It, and, and there is a gradation of beings. Um, or, you know, we talk about in the angelic kingdom up to the divas. And this ties in, I believe, with Rupert Sheldrake's work um, of morphic fields, which are fields of influence um, for healing, for positivity, um, for mining um, information from the past that is useful now. 
And so, and we're seeing this with trees now. Um, science is actually showing us again what you know the ancients have known forever. We're just doing catch up again. The the incredible communication trees have with each other through the mycelium um, connectedness of of the fungal world to communicate uh, possibilities and threats, and also when the mother tree dies you know, when it gives out all its goodness to the trees around it um, in that incredibly selfless act of giving all they've got before they die. That, I believe, is the living spirit of a particular tree, a group of trees, a forest, and so on. So what do they look like? Well, I'll tell you an Australian story. I've got a wonderful friend here in Sydney who's worked in one of the um, uh, the parks as a as a, a you know a, a wildlife person for decades. So he knows um, that particular um, wild park um, like the back of his hands, and he knows all the sacred places. In fact, he even has taken visiting Indigenous people to these sites. He just is so familiar with them. Anyway, he's a remarkable man. And um, you, he takes um, he, he takes groups out on kind of like midnight walks into these play, this particular, we call it in the bush in Australia, as you know, which is like, forest, you know, kind of thick forest for others. And... Um, you know, you so you go and there are no torches or anything like that, which is a bit scary to start with. And people have different experiences there. Now, I've had experiences that some have had, I tend to be very sensory and also telepathic. Um, but I want to tell you about visual experiences because I think that's what people get quite excited about. So, I interviewed a couple of people for my book who'd been on um, because I wanted to get a sense of the whole landscape of fairy experiences. So I ended up interviewing loads of people. Anyway, I interviewed this elderly lady who'd been a healer who's just fabulous. You know, she's in her early 80s and she'd been on one of Bob's walks at midnight. And Bob says you always know when you're getting close to the the realm of the other because you start to get weather that doesn't make sense and he said generally the mist starts to come down and I've seen this and the wind starts to blow now normally the mist will not hang around if there's a breeze because the breeze will disperse it but in this case it doesn't and in the location they're at, and I haven't been to this particular location, but the location they were in this particular night, and others have had it at other times, they stopped walking and they realised that they had come to a portal where they could, in a sense, cross over. And what was interesting about it was in standing still, they crossed over and, you know, there was a tree here and a clump of bushes there and trees here, etc. When they crossed over, that landscape was exactly the same, the tree there, the bushes here, the collection of trees there, except that it was a mottled world. 
So everything suddenly, and we're talking, you know, kind of very dark night, suddenly everything's looking like that khaki camouflage kind of look. And Bob said, just wait. So they stood waiting and they crossed over again into what they described as a sylvan world where the trees were lit with what we call fairy lights and everything had a sylvan hue and there were little figures um, more like Aboriginal figures than fairies sitting around fires going about their business. So that was one experience with Bob. Another one was he said on a number of occasions he has seen a yaoi, he said, which is a bit like a yeti. And he's the one who really, when I, you know, because Bob's become a dear friend, who's really made me understand that the ecology of the fairy world is as diverse as there are bacteria, as there are whatever. And often these figures take on the look of the landscape. <clears throat> he said what he's learned with the Yowie is that it is extremely sensitive to people's um, emotional energy at the time. And he said he'd taken this particular night, he'd seen the Yowie a few times, this particular night he took his nephew out into the bush on one of these midnight walks because he'd been going through, I think it was girlfriend issues and work issues. So he had a lot going on. And Bob said to him, he said, look, you know, you're a bit worked up, important to stay calm. And he said, if we see anything, it's very important you stay calm. And this young fellow was about, um, well, in old language, about six foot and Bob's about six foot four. So they're both quite tall men. and and. Bob said suddenly he got the sense of electricity, which is another sign that, you know, you're you're changing energetically. And then he saw this big yeti, who was as big as them, coming towards them. And Bob said to his nephew, who was about 27, just stay calm, but this guy couldn't. And he just ran off screaming down the track obviously in the opposite direction to the Yowie. And Bob said he was just concerned that the Yowie might harm his nephew because, you know, like any anything in nature that's frightened, they can kind of strike back. So Bob said the thing to do is to laugh. So he started to laugh to raise the energy. But the Yowie still picked him up and threw him into the bushes. And so this is a man over six foot. He wasn't hurt, but what had happened is they had strayed onto the Yowie domain and the Yowie did not like the energetics of the nephew because in a sense it's kind of like energetic pollution and he wanted it out of the way. What's interesting um, is that the part of the native bush they were in borders onto a bay, which guess what is called Yowie Bay. And millions of people know the name of that bay, but they would never for a minute associate it with the fact that at some time in space, long before Bob, 
people knew that was where the yaois hung, where some yaois hung out. So it's fascinating once you start to delve into it. And these are all very grounded people, I assure you. Um, you know, I talk to scientists, I talk to mums, artists, you know, accountants, people, you know, with not people you would necessarily such because it's by word of mouth, you know, mm -hmm. somebody said, oh, you know, talk to this person and that. You wouldn't necessarily associate them with fairy experiences, which is wonderful because it just reinforces that they're there for us all. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating, and and particularly the portal. It's interesting that it's it's there. It's just a different layer. Everything's the same, just yes, subtly, energetically different. Energetically, it's different. So you know, we're always going. Where's fairyland? Well, guess what? We are immersed in it, but sadly, at a low vibrational level, and. I'd just like to sidetrack for one brief moment, Louisa, because um, uh, many of those who tune into you may be aware of the great southwestern desert in the States. I'm mad on deserts, and if you want a great desert to go and visit, go to this one. And in the great southwestern desert are these incredible mesas, incredible cliffs, and some are up to like 5,000 feet. And below some of the uh, cliff tops, which are often like plateaus, there are kind of like these huge ledges down in the cliffs. And the Pueblo people hundreds of years ago, because of war and one thing and another, started to build villages down, you know, they'd have ladders down to these cliffs and that's where they built villages and they were a very sacred people you know they were very connected into Pachamama Mother Earth and it's interesting when you go to these places because the thing is it's a mystery they lived in these cliff dwelling villages scattered across hundreds of miles and then they all disappeared now, if you listen to Westerners, they say, oh, well, there was a drought and, you know, they had to go. But having said that, no one has been able to say, oh, well, they ended up in this place or that place. They just vanished. If you talk to the Navajo, they say they are still there, living in an ascended state. And I heard that about 20 years ago, and at the time... I believed it on one level, but I couldn't get my head around it on another level until this fairy work. And then I understand we are immersed in wisdom and healing and possibilities right where we are in any one moment, far more than we can imagine. And I think it's tied into the energetics. I also think it's tied into the quantum field where we are a dance of atoms, a dance of possibilities. Love it. And, and essentially there really is no time. So, No, no. So we can access this past, present and future and, and, and use this in a way that is powerful for ourselves and others. In summary, 
your tips yeah. for the audience. You spoke about portals, connecting with past, present and future and connecting with the, the natural world fairies and the spirit of the land. What's your advice, tips, tools? Absolutely. And that is to really find and take seriously the sacred spaces where you live. Learn to have a loving communication with them. To start to learn from different forms of nature there that you feel drawn to communicate with. As I felt drawn when I went to Uluru, I mean, it's such a sacred, massive rock um, that has been hallowed for thousands and thousands of years but in our little local park it might be a scrubby little bush don't 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 second guess why you have been attracted to that or it might be a tree or a rock or whatever and start to develop a loving relationship with it um, which is what the ancients used to do and let's say it's a tree or a flower then take note of it and go home and find out what are the healing properties of that tree or flower. And you might just be surprised to find that it was communicating with you because its healing um, qualities are exactly what you need right now. Or it might be the color of a flower that when you're spending time in this park that just really, you know, elevates you in that moment. Learn about colours and their vibrations and what the healing vibrations are. And as we do this, we're starting to build a very intelligent communication with the spirit of that place. And also to honour this place where we live and look at how to nourish it then we can't be strangers when we walk in the world because even the trees and the rocks and the blades of grass, the waves on the beach, the shells on the seashore, um, everywhere we go, we feel connected. Even if we're not having an experience, we feel at home in the world. And when we feel at home in the world, we can be more useful to ourselves and to others, Louisa. Thank you, Maggie. My gosh, it's been such a delight to have you on the show. Is is On a final note, is there anything you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you? Yes, well, one tiny thing has just come <laughs> to mind, and that is... When I was interviewing people, what blew me out of the water was that a number of people I interviewed actually admitted to me, and I could tell this was obviously the first time they'd spoken, they'd all had troubled childhoods, you know, where there had been some form of abuse or neglect. And it was actually fairy figures that had seen them through that. The little figure at the bottom of the garden or in the woods or a tree or something in nature with which they could connect and feel okay and have a promise for the future. So, you know, I think that's fascinating that the whole fairy thing, it's great if we can encourage our kids 
to have connection and not just to see this whole world as some dinky little fairy that glittery fairy uh, that is very saccharine but to teach them to walk in the world in a way that they too can be comfortable um, because I have to be honest when I'm upset or sad or feeling out of sorts I don't tend to talk to others even though I have you know wonderful friends around me I tend to head straight for nature and to go and be with the trees and that always soothes my spirit and if we can teach our children to do that you know in this time when our young are the loneliest on the planet boy I think that could make quite a difference what a great way to end the show Maggie Hamilton it's been so delightful to have you on I can't wait to re-listen to this episode such a wealth of information and thank you so much and thank you for your time and bless you Louisa for holding the space for everyone and I just would like to bless you and say may all that you give out come back to a thousandfold oh thank you so much Maggie <laughs> great pleasure darling bye-bye go well <laughs> you too bye, bye. <laughs> if you liked this episode Please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews.